I need you for our, our opening for this um, this episode. I need you to go to a web browser. And uh, for those people who are at home, um, you know, you can open your web browser as well. Um, but if you're on the road, kind of, kind of, you know, uh, wait until we are, um, uh, we're, we're done with this and, and pull over, pull over, <laughs> pull over. Yes. Uh, unless of pull course over now. you are on the road in the back seat. If you're on the road in the back seat, you can certainly, certainly look this up. I need you to go to this website and I'm going to have to spell it to you because I just noticed that it's missing a letter. It is Marina, M-A-R-I-N-A, M-A-R-A-L dot com. M-A-R-I-N-A. Then M-A-R-A-L dot com. And then I'm going to give you a slash. Slash portfolio. And then I'm going to give you a specific picture, slash Lewis hyphen Powell, P-O-W-E-L-L. And it's L-E-W-I-S hyphen Powell. Yeah. And then uh, you're going to see a guy leaning against a wall. There it is. There's a, there's a, a dude leaning against the wall. Dude leaning against the wall. Okay. So I want you to look at him and not really look at any of the stuff below. And tell me what you know about this photograph. What do you see in this photograph? And what kind of camera do you think it was taken with? Well, it's too late because, of course, I already scrolled down. But uh, I am going to look at it. And I would have guessed, if I hadn't scrolled down, I would have guessed that it was taken with a 35-millimeter film camera, maybe with slide film. Uh-huh. But I'm not 100% sure. That would have been my guess. It has a relatively... Um, it has a relatively it has a short, very depth of shallow, field. yeah, very shallow depth of field. So I would have, you know, assumed that it was actually it's so shallow. I would have probably assumed it was badly focused by the, okay. by the photographer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'll I'll agree yeah. with that. I'll agree with that. Mm-hmm. It's actually I think that the his shoulder. I think his shoulder moved uh, right. during the um, the. Uh, um, the image taking. Yeah. So you would have, uh, I, you would have assumed what I would have assumed. And, and you know what he really reminds me of? He reminds me of like one of those, uh, 1960s, uh, mods, you know, uh, oh, yeah, London definitely. mod from the 1960s. I mean, he's In got fact, that I'm haircut. Sure, I'm sh- he just is that. I mean, he really is. Right. It's just that what we mistakenly think that, the people from different eras are really different, but they're not. They're exactly right. the same. Right. This guy is like... Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's actually taken in the 1860s. And if you look right. down at the very bottom of the photograph, you see that his hands are shackled. and With handmade... With handmade... <laughs> hand right. <cuts. laughs> right. Well, yeah. Hand wrought. Hand wrought by... Right. Yeah. Right. By somebody like Nick Lyle. Um, exactly. So... Uh, the, the Marina Amar, excuse me, Marina Amaral, uh, and it's, it's notable that her website doesn't, uh, misses the two A's. Um, so it's Marina and then there, the second A is not in there, but it's M-A-R-A-L. She is a colorist 
And she goes in and she's, um, I saw something on her, um, uh, she's 24 years old and goes in and hand colors photographs. And because of, I, I'm going to say because of the quality of her hand coloring on here, there's almost an, uh, it's very difficult to recognize the era um, of this because, yeah, it looks like it is taken w- with a color photograph. Now, there was, you know, you, you remember the 1980s and um, Turner come, came out with his colorized movies and they right. were horrible. They were absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, at least the early well, I don't, ones. I don't think they had somebody like her hand doing each frame. <laughs> right. No. Yeah. They I, use some shortcuts. Yeah. yeah. They use, they use a, a, a computer, uh, algorithm. They would, um, layout sections that would have certain tones, but she goes in and, um, you know, like for the skin areas, she doesn't just paint on skin tone. You know, she, she does what we, what we are. We're multicolored. Uh, within any given area uh, of our skin, you know, and, and we reflect different colors because the light, uh, you know, if you, if there's a blue sky, you, you look a little bit blue. And if there's green grass, you know, you, you'll have a, gra- a green tinge. Um, this guy, ha- this guy had a white dog. If you look at his shirt. Yeah, it sure does look like it. He's got a <laughs> lot of white hair on on that shirt. Um, yeah. so, uh, I think that he was in prison and if I'm correct, um, he was in, he, he was one of the, um, uh, conspirators, one, right. Yes. Uh, uh, who assassinated, uh, president Lincoln. And I think these folks were sent to, um, uh, the dry tortugas, which is, uh, uh, a couple of islands uh, I think about 50 miles, 70 miles west of Key West. And um, there was a, a pirate there, hangout. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was also a, um, you know, they built a fort there and it became a prison camp. And I think that they, um, uh, I, I think that that was where they were held. So I'm guessing that this is probably where, where this image was shot. Now, I want to get back to, okay, so, uh, if we click back up, um, and take out the Lewis Powell and just go back to portfolio, um, we get many different images, um, Herman Goering in the dock, um, at the Nuremberg trial, Amelia Air, uh, Earhart in the cockpit of her airplane, uh, Czar, or King Edward VII and Nicholas the second. Um, and then, you know, we go through and we see a lot of images, um, that are historic and are colored based on, uh, she has, she works with historians, uh, specifically if, okay. So if we go to that second or that, um, third picture, which is King Edward, the second and Tsar Nicholas the second, sorry, Edward the seventh and Nicholas the second. Um, they have uniforms and every one of those medals has a specific color. And there's some mm-hmm. flags, you know, pennants, uh, above the deck that are waving and they have specific colors. And then along the right side, there are a bunch of 
uniformed officers, and every one of those medals has to be the right color. So she works with historians to get those things accurate. And I find I find her work really interesting and believable about half the time. Like, if you look at the Amelia Earhart, there's something about the colorization in her face that just looks wrong to me. Um, I don't know. I think, it, I think it's pretty impressive. I think, though, that you're... You're probably picking up on stuff that happens with with light and shadow that isn't quite right. Like, so, and I, and I think some of that though is our prejudice because we're used to looking at a different kind of color process. Right. So, color color print point. film and color slide film handle dynamic range so differently, but we're sort of so used to looking at it that we kind of buy it, you know. But sure. actually, nothing in the real world quite looks like either of those. And here's a third thing, which is a person who's actually more of a painter than anything else, yeah. uh, giving her interpretation. And I don't, I know what you mean, but I don't know that it's any less realistic than, say, you know, Portra or, you know, Ectochrome or... <laughs> sure. It's just different. Yeah. But I find it, I find it, this is really moving. I've always wanted to do this uh, myself because... I've always assumed that when you colorize old black and white photographs, you know, you're going to see com- people that look just like we do. And I'm sure that if we could find a, a photograph of a Neanderthal, they would look just as familiar. <laughs> right. Sure. Absolutely. Um, so um, here is here's my question. If you go on to the second page of her portfolio, you get an Abraham Lincoln. Um, you get Rasputin. Um, uh, there are all sorts of, uh, <laughs> there's, there's one of my favorite photos of all time and it's, um, the president and the king it's Nixon and Elvis at the white house, um, shaking hands. I had a postcard mm. of that for a while. Um, but the, um, it, it, you know, some of these, like the Lincoln looks pretty, pretty realistic. And I think he comes alive in a way that that black and white photo did not um you know the black and white version of the photo and i think if you click on it oh no i don't think we get um we don't get the the black and white version but um i well so yeah, I, yeah so i would i i wanted to say that i've always wanted to do this yeah and, and i've actually got books on it and i've read about it and i just haven't gotten around to it yet but but i actually like this color as much as the the best color print stuff I've seen. Okay. Like, it's different, but it's just as appealing to me. And as a way to get a color photo, I I really like it. As opposed okay. to um, you know, necessarily using color film. I really like this a lot. Okay, so here's where the question comes in. And uh, the question comes in with... The whole argument that used to be centered around the colorization of movies, and that is some things should stay black and white, and some things are too, uh, I don't know, I don't want to use the term sacred, but they're, um, they're, if no, I, I, I think that makes sense. I think that if, if an artist made a black and white, uh, film or still photograph that really was meant to be monochrome, then 
that's the way you should look at it. But it's still interesting and fun uh, to see what it would look like in color. I mean, I constantly go back and forth between them with now with digital processing. Most of my black and whites are made from color print negatives. So, so actually, and I almost always prefer working from a color print negative, um, because you have still got control of the different color channels because the best color film is really high resolution and really fine and it looks great. Um, and the high dynamic range is really nice. So, this is sort of a natural going, you know, back and forth between monochrome and color is completely natural to me. Uh, but there are images that definitely look better one way or the other. And if, if you, you know, if you colorize a monochrome image and it doesn't look as good, then that's not doing the artist any favors. Uh, but these are more like this whole idea of looking at history. That's a completely different story because these people were not monochrome people. <laughs> Sure. You know, unless you're colorblind, they were color colored people, and you need to be able to to see that to really kind of understand who they are. Um, if you know, unless you have unless you have monochrome vision, in which case it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, um. Okay. So so here's the question. Um. Uh. Do you? Uh. Is it worth? Or not worth doing? But is it right to do it to somebody else's photograph? And at what point do you not do it to somebody else's photograph? Well, I think that it's it's fine as long as you are up front and say that you did that. Okay? To me, I mean, when you took a photograph of a person, you were abstracting a moment from their life and making it permanent. Did you ask them permission to do that? You know? <laughs> it's it's just another stage in, in like the history of an image. But yeah, I think you would want to you would want to be up front and say yeah this is a colorized monochrome from that someone else photographed in the first place i mean you'd want to uh you want to be clear about it but i don't have any problem doing it i think it's uh, it's interesting okay so uh here's here's um are are there any photographs that are untouchable well i'm i mean i'm not quite sure what you mean by that i i would say no um, but only again, only if you're upfront and say, you know, hey, there was a monochrome version of this that looked a lot better. <laughs> you might want to look at that. Okay, link here, you know. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, let's. I. Uh, you have Netflix, right? Am I right in that? You have yeah. Netflix. Okay. Sure. There's sure. A, a documentary that's been on Netflix. Um, I, I think it premiered. Uh, I don't know, three weeks ago or something, and it popped up in my. In my feed, uh, my my little notices at the top, and it it's a documentary about Orson Welles uh, called "They'll Love Me When I'm Dead," and right, I, it goes back to it's really tragic. It really is tragic. Anybody who wishes that they peaked when they're 25, watch that movie. You won't wish you made the best movie of all time. Um, uh, when you're 25, uh, because then you make lesser movies for the rest of your life. Um, but, uh, I want to go back to that movie, Citizen Kane for some, so, so so we should be, I should be really happy that I started out incompetent and, uh, steadily improved over time. Absolutely. You know, one of the things that I tell my students, um, my students who get, uh, frustrated with working with Photoshop or Illustrator or one of those other programs um, and they just don't get it or web 
web coding, that's something that, um, you know, is, is difficult at first if you've never done it. Um, so here's what I, um, uh, what, what I tell them. And the, the first step of being good at anything is just being horrible at it. You know, um, be okay with not being good at something because eventually if you stick with it, you're going to be a lot better. And, you know, it's so one of the things, um, I used to teach with a, with a guy, um, named, named Dave, David Webster, who was excellent at teaching drawing, absolutely excellent at teaching drawing. And, and, and he had some bulletin boards, um, in the hallways at school, um, that were kind of his, I think that they were all ours, but, uh, but he kept them. And because what he would do is he would put up the baseline, uh, drawing the first day drawing and then the final drawing and he put them up next to each other. And, you know, you'd see these incredible improvements. Um, and, you know, and often with people who thought that they would never be able to be taught how to, how to draw, you know, you can't teach me to draw. I can't draw. You know, I, I, I've heard that a lot, uh, personally, um, in, in the education I, yeah, process, but, and I always argue against that, um, that idea of myself because I've taught the same thing. And right, right. Which is a, which it, is all a long way of yes, you don't want to be at, wonderful at everything that you do the first time. You want to get better. <laughs> so and anyway. and that is something and that is something that there really aren't any people who yeah. are naturals. I mean, people claim that Picasso was close to being a natural, but he had really heavy duty training at an early age. And I'm, I'm sure right. that had a lot to do with his right. precocious uh, drawing skills. Yeah, a- a- absolutely. So, so anyway, let's get back to this. So I want, I wanted to talk about Citizen Kane. Would you s- watch Citizen Kane if it were done in color? Well, I would watch it, but, you know, maybe I'm perverse. Would it be as good of a movie in color? I have no idea, unless I try it. I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I have a preconception. I mean, I love, there are, I think there are images that need to be monochrome. Uh, and I think there are probably movies that need to be monochrome, but I don't know without seeing someone's color effort, you know, whether I'd feel that way or not, you know, I'd have to see it. Okay. Okay, so I, I, it's just, I am, uh, I think that this woman is very talented. Um, and I think that the quality of the work that she, um, puts through and she shows, uh, in this are, you know, I think it's tremendous. Um, and obviously she takes an effort, um, to, she makes a it, it, she makes a huge effort to get everything right, and that I think helps her quite a bit. One of the things that yeah, I'm I've been teaching digital illustration um, this semester, and that's uh, essentially working with Adobe Illustrator vector uh, drawing. And one of the things that we talk about is with illustration, sometimes you have to present what is not there in order to communicate what is there. 
Um, mm-hmm. you know, and you, you know that as a, as a visual artist, um, you know, it's the, uh, uh, Michelangelo's David, you know, there are things that are out of proportion in that because he understood that you were going to be looking up at the, at the, um, uh, you know, at the sculpture and, um, and he, uh, felt like that was, um, uh, you know, increasing the um uh the size of those items were would would help that out considerably. So. What he was doing what he was doing was exactly analogous to the the ways you can tweak perspective in the at the bottom of your lightroom panel in order to make uh out of out of normal lenses work. Right. You know, that, right. So that it's the same problem of of impossible perspective like unless you're a, a tiny child you're never going to see a person from that angle uh, so it's going right. to look yeah, wrong yeah 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 absolutely yeah. and you, you have to you absolutely. have to fudge right yeah yeah and it's yeah and in uh like adobe camera raw there is the um uh there's the barrel distortion and light fringing and all that type of stuff you can you can correct for so so, okay. So we give our thumbs up. I, I, I'll, I'm going to give the website again. I'll have it in the show notes. So you can just flip over to the show notes that, that appear in most podcatchers. Um, but it is Marina, M-A-R-I-N-A, M-A-R-A-L dot com. If you search her, it is Marina, M-A-R-I-N-A, Amaral, A-M-A, R-A-L. Um, so I, I highly recommend that uh, people take the time and look her up. So a while back, I recommended a book, which I probably picked up at a half price bookstore or whatever but it's 500 cameras 170 years of photographic innovation by todd gustafson and it's a book with 500 amazing cameras out of the george eastman uh, collection in rochester new york so uh, this is just a huge selection of some amazing cameras from the very beginning to recent times they're all they're not even, there's even some digital stuff at the very end, but they, they're organized into categories of camera, which are kind of interesting in themselves. But I recommended it as a, a source of inspiration for doing do-it-yourself cameras because it turns out like everything that I've ever come up with, someone's already done it. You're usually a century or more ago and, and often with a really tremendous style and craftsmanship. So there's a lot of really, really good uh, source material in here and a lot of the older cameras were made using the kind of tools that you you and i have around the house they weren't necessarily you know using really sophisticated equipment uh, to build these cameras so that's helpful as well and anyway it occurred to me recently i, I was looking at the book again after some time uh, and having worked on this podcast for a while i'm thinking m- much more uh in much greater depth about how cameras are put together and, and what that means for a photographer or for a, a camera builder. And I just saw so much more in the book the second time I looked at it. Uh, and I got all excited. And 
decided maybe we should discuss a few of these designs as inspiration and hope that, you know, you or I or other people listening might actually try and make some of these things. And it's a bit funny to talk about a book with pictures uh, on an on a audio podcast, but we'll give references. You can look these things up and we'll try our best to describe them and the books available in libraries and so forth. And I'll also make sure that we can... Um... Uh, that I'll provide a link at least to an image, if not a website about each camera. So, uh, that will be in the show notes. Yeah, we should look it up. Maybe Eastman Kodak uh, has, you know, stuff online. Who knows? Uh, I haven't even looked that up. Yeah. So, uh, but in the meantime, uh, we had to just to start, we thought up a few categories of our own. And the first one was, you know, just, okay, which of these things. I mean, many of them are beautiful, but we're just going to pick a couple that we think are particularly appealing to look at and talk about why. And the first one that I grabbed was a fairly recent camera uh, made in 1983 by Globoscope, Globoscope Inc., which was a actually a photo studio in New York City, but they built their own cameras. Uh, and I think they ended up selling some of them on the market. And we'll... we'll... So so cool and we'll give a page reference here this is page 332 right out of the book 500 cameras and anyway this this is your classic uh film back with a cone and a, and a large format lens on the front of it uh, this one has a schneider 65 millimeter f8 schneider angulon lens so it's a very compact lens with everything it needs all built in and then a very lovely uh, pressed stainless steel, uh, you know, kind of cone-shaped connector between the lens and the film back. Uh, an elegant viewfinder on the top and a little leveling stand on the bottom. So very, very simple, pared down. Uh, it's obvious, it's very similar in, in basic shape to the Mercury cameras, to the travel wide, to a lot of these kind of minimal, minimal cameras. Um, and this one is just especially good looking. R really almost doesn't even look like a camera except that it has a lens on it. So if you were to approach the same camera using the same materials, would, is there something else that you might do? One of the things that we can't see is we can't see the back. Um, we only have a I'm picture gonna, of the front. Yeah. It's almost certainly a graph lock four by five. Yeah. Okay. Back. Yeah. So what would you it might, yeah. Yeah, what would you do differently if you okay, so you're going to put you're going to do a 4 by 5 um using uh the Schneider 65 uh F8 and um and you're going to do it out of do you think that's stainless or is that aluminum? It no, that is stainless steel. It stainless. actually says it in the in Oh, okay. The text. Yeah. 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 And they're saying it's pressed. I'm not uh, exactly sure how it was made, but there are a lot of different ways you could fabricate it out of uh, out of metals. Mm -hmm. um, and stainless makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, it's pretty easy to work with. Uh, you could do it out of aluminum. That would have other a different set of problems. Okay. Stainless. I would fabricate it out of a, a combination of flat sheet and pipe, and I would weld it together. That's okay. just because that's what I'm set up to do. But there is, you know, you could make this thing in a lot of different ways. So I'm gonna, I'm, the, uh, I'm gonna ask you, how difficult would it be for you to do? 
It would not be difficult technically, but I probably wouldn't do it because, okay. <laughs> because sure because it would be a bit of a pain and and I I think I would be more likely to use I don't know maybe a combination of wood and metal or okay. wood and fiberglass or you know I mean I wouldn't necessarily go to the trouble of fabricating this okay. thing although it is love lovely to look yeah. at I'm not I'm not as uh, I guess I'm not as concerned about the appearance of of my cameras yeah well it also looks like it has the durability to um you know to to go through some significant war um you know uh yeah yeah. it's got and but there is but there's simpler ways to get that same result so yeah i might still fabricate it out of stainless steel but i would use i would make the shape a little different just to make it easier that's all sure sure okay so um I, you know, if I were to do a similar thing, you know, it, this is something that I think would be, you know, relatively easy to 3D print. I mean, obviously you're not going to get the finish on it. I think that that would be, it's a shape that's relatively easy to 3D print. Um, Mm -hmm. and, you know, I, and I don't think that there's anything that's really secretive, uh, you know, uh, uh, innovative uh or secretive it's just this is a beautiful this is a beautiful yeah. version so right. um so okay so my beautiful camera is actually just two pages back we're in the panoramic section mine's uh or uh, yeah just it's page 330 and it is the a Linhoff. yeah it's a yeah. Linhoff six by six by 17 camera and um it is, um, it, it yeah, yeah. It, it's beautiful. Uh, it's absolutely beautiful. Okay, so let's let's describe it. It's got a body that is, um, you know, that obviously can um, hold uh, one twenty film. At either end, it has a thicker portion um, that is the cylinder that holds the supply reel and the take up reel. But the body of the camera itself in between those places is relatively thin. And then it has, um, again, a, a graduated kind of cone um, that on which is mounted a helical. And, and let me see if it mentions what the lens is. Um, it's a 90 minute or 90 minute. Yeah, it's a 90 minute Schneider. It's a 90 millimeter um, Schneider Kreuznach um, Super Angulon. It's a 95.6, but I I think that these could take essentially anything in that range. Um, the camera has three uh, cold shoes across the top, um, and it shows just a finder, a masked um, panoramic. Uh, finder. Um, uh, the idea, it, it, one of the reasons why I, I think that Linhoff stuff is beautiful. In fact, there's a Linhoff press camera that I didn't choose. Um, that, uh, that was going to be my, my prettiest camera choice on here, but it, um, uh, it, it's, it has a cleanliness to it that does not, um, it doesn't have any, uh, well, it has a little badge, 
and it I has would describe words. it as as lean. I would lean. describe it as lean. That's a really yeah. good way to say it. it. It doesn't. It doesn't have. It doesn't look like it has any unnecessary volume. Like they've made it more. They've gone to a lot of trouble to make sure there aren't any air pockets in there <laughs> that they don't need. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Which is yeah. Which is elegant, and it also gives it, you know, places to grab on, and it just, it just, you can just tell looking at it that it would be really fun to use. Right. Um, So, uh, part of the deal is, um, uh, the lenses, I don't know what the lenses were new. Um, You know, you can get a 90 f6 in the $500 range, I think. Um, I may be wrong. I'm sure. Uh, I bet you can, or even even less. Well, it's a 5.6. You can get a, a 90. Uh, F8 for under 200 bucks if you, uh, yeah. if you have a little bit of patience. But, or if it's a, if it's a Mamiya press, it can be even less, or yeah. a Fujinon, a Fujinon's. Yeah. Uh, I bet you can get a 5.6 Fujinon for, um, but the, the body itself was $4,000 when new. And Ooh. yeah. And that lens was probably 3,500 new. So um, that would leave you not much money left over for for film, would it? Um, but <laughs> but it's um, yeah, it's uh, um, certainly a, a camera that um, that uh, I would love to have. Now I would probably hate to shoot it because you only get four shots on a um, one twenty roll. But, uh, but yeah. yeah, that's all right, though. That's all right. Okay. I mean, you know, you only get one shot with a four by five. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's and, think, right, think of it yeah. as a bonus. And it's still cheaper than a four by five. Those, those, um, uh, what does a sheet of four by five cost these days? I have no idea. Well, actually, it depends. It depends. I mean, the the black and white is pretty reasonable. Uh, but even the color, it's like three or four bucks. A shot maybe for for the high end color for high end stuff color. like okay. Portra or whatever. I mean, it's expensive, but so then again, it's a really if yeah. you know if you know your shot's going to come out right. And, you know, and a roll of Portra if you buy it, you know, single roll retail can be ten eleven bucks. Um, sure, and then if you still might only get one or two good shots, right? Yeah, you got a point. You got a point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so so anyway, I I yeah. Uh, I'd shoot a lot of ultra fine, uh, extreme on it. Um, so yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, those are, uh, certainly beautiful cameras. Now I wanted to talk about a couple of other cameras that I didn't pick, um, that I think are a little bit, um, maybe not obvious. One of the, one of the ones that I want to pick is the original Instamatic. Um, There is something beautiful to me about that little box that's completely functional. Um, Let's have a page number. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yes, uh, it's in the point and shoots. And um, let me come up with Instamatic. Uh, I got this out of my school library, and I've seen that they have... They have pasted the due date, the re- the return due date, right across the index, <laughs> oh. uh, which is okay. kind of fun. Uh, All right, kind of fun. Did you find it? Well, I was just going to say, you know, if anybody, if we just, if you just read out the name, 
you know, there's probably a thousand images that'll come up if you just Google the name of the camera. So right, yeah. As long as, you get, it's, get, it's, as long as you get the name right. It's the Instamatic 100, and it's in the point-and-shoot, or the snapshot. It's almost at the end. Here it is, Instamatic 100, it's page 147. Um, and, it, it, you know, maybe, actually, this is the one that didn't take the cubes. I probably want the 104. But it had a, a very odd little shutter button that was like a shelf right at the front um and there was a little button that went up and down on the front and i don't remember what that did um but here's here's one of the things you know a good design is uh evocative right um and I just feel my childhood when I look at that. And when I, I say my childhood, the under 10 childhood, um, it is the camera of my childhood. And, um, and I just think it's, I think it's beautiful. I think it's a beautiful camera. Was there something else well, that you, I mean, and I could go through. Uh, so I would, I would never have picked that in a million years. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, okay. So let, let me talk. Let me back up a little bit about some of the things that I love about it, other than it just being the memory. Like I can smell my grandparents' house when I look at that camera. I uh, see. I can smell the flash cube. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's, not, it's a burnt plastic. Smell. Yeah. My grandmother's house smelled better than that. It smelled more like yeah. gingerbread. And yeah. Okay. So here's some of the things that I love about it. I love the little bit of chrome. Okay. It had, if you look at the front of it, it could have just been, you know, a plain front. It didn't need to be anything other than a, a plain front with a, with a hole for the lens, right? Um, but they put extra chrome on it. They, they, there's, there's finishes. The, the lens that you cannot focus has little ridges like you can focus it. Um, it, it has um, red on black badging. Um, it oh well, actually, it's red on white or or chrome, depending on. Um, but it's right next to to black. It has the red, white, and black color scheme that is um, uh, an historic color scheme, uh, specifically for graphic design. So. Um, there's that. It is, it, it is the, the right, it is an elegant shape for the film. Um, you know, it's, you know, it's just a little rectangle. It is small and it's tiny. Um, and, uh, I, I just, I mean, it didn't take great pictures. In fact, it didn't take decent pictures. Um, if, so from that aspect, its performance was, was lesser. But my God, I thought it looked great. I still think it looks great. And you, so. you couldn't make a phone call with it either. I, I don't know, man. <laughs> right, right. It wasn't quite big enough to be a brick. You couldn't couldn't build something with it, right? Um, well, I I understand the appeal of of that very simple uh, yeah. thing, but that that particular camera just I don't have any of those associations. Yeah, and, and that's it fine. doesn't and that's fine. doesn't really do it do it for me. There's a really weird green one, but we shouldn't just inflict. Uh, things that people can't see on them right uh so i i think do you have any other um oh i could beauties i mean of course all these old wooden brass things some of them are yeah amazing. yeah, yeah absolutely um 
Yeah, and I uh, I had well, I'll talk about it in the uh, functionality uh, section, um, but uh, I will say, you know, the Leica bodies, um, the M3 through the M7 are just beautiful. Um, yeah, yeah, they are, and I wanted to I wanted to say about that yeah. that what we're also looking for here is inspiration and right both of the first two cameras that we've mentioned i I mean i did say oh i wouldn't go to all the trouble of of trying to recreate the exact form that they made out of metal right but looking at that beautiful globoscope it does encourage me to use metal and and other materials that i think are attractive so these cameras do inspire me to eventually once i have some uh, models i'm really happy with look around for some attractive materials to use just because it's a nice looking camera is not only appealing to you as the user, but it it makes a difference when you're using it to photograph people. People would rather have their picture taken with an interesting looking camera. You're more likely to get someone to, you know, to submit to being photographed if the camera is interesting than you are if... Yeah, and, and not not threatening, but interesting and, or beautiful, or it makes the whole event seem more exciting. Somehow, and not you know? only that, but you, if you're like me, you love to use a beautiful machine, and a beautiful machine is uh, is preferable to a clunky machine, even if the quality out of the clunky machine is is equal or better. Yeah, I'd say that's true. And if you're trying, of course, if you're trying to sell them, then it, then it's obvious. But right, although there is there is a streak of of purposeful ugliness in, um, especially in mid to I'd say the say the fifties through the eighties, nineties. There's a whole period where American design kind of favored ugliness in certain kinds of object, and I've never cared much for that. Okay, uh, and I think there's a there's a message being being sent that you know this is efficient there is no waste there's no arty fartiness here because this sure is ugly and i i just don't care for that well okay it it, it goes back to the 1970 uh volvo station wagon right um it, <laughs> i happen to think that's an attractive car but anyway. okay well okay so i find i i i think that it is attractive in its utility i think it's attractive in its practicalness uh, I think it's attractive in its functionality, but I don't. It's better looking. It's better looking than your Instamatic. Oh, okay. And I got to sit. And I rebuilt a 1970 Volvo. So, <sighs> okay, that that's that's good. Um, <laughs> I and and well, here's where I was going to go on that, and and um, let's go back to one of the other cameras that I was going to pick. It you know was the. The Hasselblad, what is it, 501, whatever their original one was. Oh, the classic. Uh, that is guy. a beautiful. Yeah. But it is a beautiful yeah. camera, yeah. It, it is a beautiful camera, but it is beautiful in its functionality. Um, uh, To me, uh, you know, uh, uh, a Bronica uh, copy is is more beautiful. Um, I, I think it's got a little bit more chrome. It's got a little bit more streamlining you know um but uh but yeah i i I think that um i i there's a beauty in its functionality whereas here now let's i'm gonna gonna back up a little bit um fuji made a bunch of rangefinder medium format rangefinders um 
uh, towards the end of, uh, in the eighties. Um, and, and they were, oh my God, there were folders. Okay. Um, and, and I had one and okay. What, one of the great things about a foldering camera is that it protects the lens. So your lens can be, you know, 20 years old and look like it was made yesterday without having a filter on it because it's folded up into that body for all that time. Um, that's great. And, you know, and functionality, it's, it, you know, it's perfect, but there's, but they, you know, they used a green that was vile, um, (laughs) you know, for, for, for the name. Oh, just, oh my God. Um, uh, here, let me, let me get real names. Like GS645 is, is what's on my head, but, um, uh, Fuji. Well, so they're a mixed bag. Some of those Fuji, um, medium format cameras look really pretty good. And yeah, there were a few that kind of went off the rails a bit. It's true. Yeah. Uh, and well, so (laughs) yeah. And, and, you know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. So. Right. We all have different associations with things. But what right. we're talking about right now is the basic difference between kind of a very utilitarian, stripped down look and something that's a little more dressed up. It yeah. has unnecessary details that look good. And I do like the minimal thing yeah. with, with machinery. I mean, I don't see any point in putting a lot of gingerbread on something that's a tool. But um, But at the same time, you can also go too far in the other direction, yeah, and make and make something homely to make some right. other kind of point that that doesn't interest. Yeah, very you much. you made yeah. a point last um, episode um, that the inside doesn't uh, have to uh, dictate the outside. Um, you know um, that we can do that, and it, and I was right. It's the GS six four five. And there was one that was W and uh, it's, it's six, four, five pro. And the professional is written in this, just this vile green. Um, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. And I owned one and it's a beautiful camera. It was a beautiful camera. I got some excellent pictures and I ended yep. up, I ended up selling it to somebody in France. So no, no. Nothing a little black Sharpie couldn't have fixed. Oh my God. Yeah. I did have (laughs) my, um, uh, what is it? Uh, the six by nine, um, GW 690. Um, that, uh, uh, somebody had stripped everything off. So everything had, uh, stripped off. I, uh, um, uh, just to let everybody know, I am playing the part of Carl Havens, um, of the, uh, classic lenses podcast in that before the show, uh, before we started recording, I bid an opening bid on, uh, an item and the, and I just, uh, just came out the winner and it's a Mamaya, uh, six by nine roll film adapter for, nice. for universal press. So. So is it the actual film holder or is it the adapter? Roll because they film adapter. What? Uh, so okay. So, so they made they they made adapters which are actually more useful in a way than the roll film holder. So the Universal Press was specific version of a Mamiya Press camera that could take both GraphLock and uh, and Mamiya press roll film backs and the way it did it is it had a a 
a back that you could mount an adapter to, and there was one adapter for Graflock and the other one for the Mamiya Press. Um, there were also models of the camera made that were either Graflock or Mamiya Press. And yeah. I have one that is designed that only takes Graflock um, roll film holders. But yeah, this this not, so this takes so the S curve. So that's the adapter that takes the S curve, which is a really good thing to have because you can build it a says camera ad- on that. It says roll film adapter holder. Yeah, it's a little confusing, but yeah. if it if you have the if you just bought the adapter, that's a great thing because it means if you you can base a camera on that and then all the Mamiya Press roll film holders will mount to it. Okay. So you have the, and they made ones for, you know, six by nine, six by seven, six by six, all the way down. They had a, a, quite a variety and they even made some that were convertible. I think they made one that could do all three formats. Yeah. Uh, so, so there's a whole world of fairly cheap, very high quality roll film backs that will fit that adapter. Yeah. And you, and that adapter will either go to a universal, uh, it'll either go to a Mamiya Universal Press camera. Or you can build your own camera off of it. Well, and I'm going to build my own camera off of it. That was I'm not. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm not really sure. I'll I'll have to to get it. It actually, you know what? I'm going to say this looks like it is. Um, now that I look at it, I didn't know that they had two different types. Uh, but the, yeah, that sure looks like a graph lock system. Um, and well, it's, if it's it's the one with the lever as opposed to the one. Uh, you know, with a knob advance, it's got a lever advance. So you've got an S, is it S shaped? S shaped. If you look at it yep. in plan, it, okay, so yep. that's, that's not the graph lock unless the, unless the graph lock adapter is included with it. So okay. that's well, we'll a Mamiya press roll film back, which will, you can build a camera off of, and it may include an adapter as well it's okay it's hard to tell because that's typical with ebay you never quite know what you're getting yeah the wording can get mixed up yeah there. and and to tell you the truth i mean obviously i didn't know that um that difference um but i'll i'll build a camera around it either way you know if mm-hmm. uh, so yeah uh, i'll make it to fit and um then it might fit something else as well well it'll fit um Mamiya Universal <laughs> cameras is what. It is. Okay, so with the Mamiya Universal uh, camera, uh, make it for you as one of the most beautiful cameras in the 500 camera book. If no, it was I in think there. I, they're pretty homely, oh, actually. God, but, but well, I wouldn't go as far as ugly. I would go with homely. Okay. I, I think there's a place. There's a in between. There's something in between ugly and beautiful, and and that's often actually kind of appealing to me that in between place because okay. you know you can go too far in either direction um but for cameras it's a tool mm-hmm. right so you know there there's a certain appeal to things being kind of business like and straightforward mm-hmm. and not necessarily too frilly or fancy and there are certainly cameras that are over decorated and have too much going on visually yeah you know, I, I like I like a little bit simpler things yeah. and and the these they vary. So some of the Mamiya Press cameras, actually, the newer ones that the like the Universal Press, that's actually a pretty decent looking. The one I have is one of the old ones, and it's kind of it's pretty. It's definitely on the strong homely side. <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's gawky, and it's heavy and it's clunky. 
but it's extremely effective. Like it's very high quality in terms of what it can do as a camera and, and, sure. uh, and very, and very inexpensive. So there's a lot going for it. And I'm never going to buy one. You know, never say never. Yeah, exactly. Now you've got the roll film back. <laughs> You're probably going to buy one. <laughs> exactly. So what's our next, uh, what's our next category? So the next category I have here is functionality. Okay. Um, and the one that I had picked to illustrate that is it's a Panon 120. And what? Page, three, oh, page 325. 325. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, sure. And what, what this is, is it's the precursor, <laughs> precursor to the, um, Wide Lux. And Wide Lux is, a very very cool panoramic camera that used a swing lens approach so some panoramic cameras just have a really wide piece of film and a very wide lens to go with it but uh there's another type that the russians made and also this is i think the germans made these the wide lux no this one says it's from tokyo okay so um it's a japanese camera and it's a it takes 120 film and what it does is the film, I think, is probably a, on a bit of a curved film holder, and the the lens swivels, so it's projecting a slit of light onto this film, and as the lens swivels, it goes from one edge of the film to the other. Um, so the speed that the lens travels is a, is effectively the same as a shutter speed. Um, instead of having a shutter per se, it just it's like, a, imagine a searchlight sweeping across the sky. Well, it's sweeping the light across the film. And faster means, you know, a shorter shutter time and slower means a longer one. Uh, so, so it's a little bit limited if your subject's in motion, that can be very strange. But other than that, it's a, actually a really good way to make a panoramic camera because it doesn't require the lens to do all the correcting uh, for trying to project this image evenly onto a typical of panoramic cameras is that they have tend towards vignetting or dark edges. In fact, I know the, the Fuji six by 17, you have to use a special graduated filter that, um, that's dark in the middle and gradually gets lighter towards the ends so that you can get an even exposure because there's such a difference in the distance. The light has to travel to get out to the far corners of this long strip of film it's going farther inside a dark box. It it gets dimmer, and you have uh, you have a you know very uneven exposure unless you correct for it. But the swing lens gets rid of that problem because the it's it's curving. The film's curved, and the lens stays the same distance away from the film as it mm -hmm. swings around. Um, so the, it's it's a it's a cool solution with some interesting side effects. This particular one is looks like for you know what it is for a swing lens camera that does 120. It looks pretty compact and uh, yes, it looks quite appealing. It'd be interesting to try and make something like that. Uh, and I have seen homemade swing lens cameras that that work. Um, there's a guy uh, that goes by Efo on Flickr. And I've forgotten his real name, but he he had a swing lens camera that he made himself that that seemed to work quite well. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, the, the swing lens idea, uh, is it, it is to prove how, um, I don't want to say uncomplicated it is, but how, um, uh, doable it's it pretty is. simple. Yeah. It's pretty well, simple. It, um, I have a, I have one of these, but it doesn't do 140 degrees. 
it does 180 degrees, or sorry, 360 degrees, I have a Lomo spinner. And the Lomo spinner does the same thing. In fact, the Lomo spinner does not have, not only does not have a shutter, there is nothing to do to shut the shutter. Um, so, oh, may, maybe there is. When you rewind it, there is a, um, there is a button to, um, to shut the shutter. But the divisions between frames are very, very bright. Uh, or they're overexposed because, um, you essentially just, um, you know, you're, uh, leaving, you're just, you're just leaving, leaving it open, leaving right? the slit open in one, in one location. So, um, uh, and I have had a lot of fun. Uh, I've actually only shot one roll in it. Um, uh, but I had a lot of fun playing with it. And, uh, what I did was I, um, uh, varied the speed at which the um uh the uh spinner spun and then i also uh moved it while it was spinning so that it moved in the direction that it was spinning so it uh so i got elongated shapes and um uh you can also spin it by hand so you get these very weird, strange, differently um, exposed vertical sections on uh, on the film. It would be good. It would be interesting to do a swing lens, a uh, homemade swing lens camera. And you I know now that you're now that you're saying that, I'm thinking how much fun it would be to go all the way primitive and make a swing lens pinhole camera. Yeah, because. Because you could, you'd, you'd have lots of time to mess around, you know, cause it would make, it would be such a long exposure. Yes. I, 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 I think, think that'd that, be really cool. I think that the big challenge on that would be the clockwork or just the pacing of the lens as it goes around. But if you would have to be super slow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that you would have to have is like a super stable, um, tripod or mount, um, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, perfectly weighted because you're going to have to move it in a way, um, you're going to have to, to do some, some moving on it. Um, uh, you know, a pinhole camera, uh, as we talked about, um, uh, often in bright, you know, what we would consider sunny 16 weather, uh, the exposure can be right around a second. So if you figure, Say it's going to run through 130 degrees of arc. Uh, and I'm not going to do the math here. I'm just saying that if you're running it through 180, uh, 130 degrees of arc and it has an opening that is uh, 13 degrees, you know, you're going to need to have 10 seconds of exposure, right? Sure. Or even more. Yeah. Well, 10 seconds because, you know, it would be one second for each section. Even though it's a mm-hmm. smooth movement, you would you would kind of think of it as, uh, you know, um, from it's the how, beginning how long, and the opening. How long light, yeah, how long light is hitting any right. given spot on the film. Right. right. Yeah. So, so yeah, that that's, um, uh, yeah, that that's definitely, um, I think, a, a doable concept. Uh, we just have to figure out the mechanism and, and, uh, and all that. 
Um, well, this is something that's been on my mind in general that, that uh, you know, someday I'll make really fancy shutter maybe, and someday I'll make a really fancy, you know, swing lens camera maybe if I get around to it. But in the short yeah. term, if you just use slow media, then you don't need a fancy shutter. You can use a lens cap. Right. If you use slow media and a pinhole, you don't need a really fancy clockwork. You just, everything's happening slowly and it's sort of within, you know, your your ability to time that movement. And if it's a little off, ah, so what? And I've seen some experimental photographers that do play with this. Sometimes that instead of swinging a lens, they'll actually advance the film past, you know, past a lens. That's another way to get a similar effect. Uh, but um, it's all it's all much easier if you slow things down a little bit, and and that's a good good place to start. Anyway, this camera appeals to me because it's something that I'm interested in making. And also um, because what, what, what the category was functionality, and it it's it's very simple. It's got a, just a, a, a wireframe style uh, sports finder kind of viewfinder, and it's it's just a a plain box with some moving parts. It looks like it would be really straightforward to use. Um, so. From yeah, a point and of view, it um, and and from a uh, an attractiveness point of view, it kind of looks like uh, a deco building, even though it was built or it was designed in '52, or it came out in 1952. Um, it kind of looks like a deco building um, yeah, to a does. certain extent. Yep. Um, you know, you could see this. I, I kind of get the bank feeling. You know, like it's a bank. Mm-hmm. So, sure. uh, and I don't mean that, you know, like a, a penny bank, you know, a piggy bank kind of thing. I'm, uh, you know, it just, it just reminds me of that kind of thing. Um, I'm going to, well, you know what? I'm going to save this comment until one of my other, uh, well, here, I'll, I'll let you, since we, since we've started talking about the swing lens cameras, um, uh, a couple of pages after that. There is the Noblex. And um, do you ever listen to the Kodakery? Uh, the podcast, the Kodakery. Okay. There's a, a podcast out there put out by Kodak, and it's the Kodakery. And I seriously, I listened to all the way through maybe one in three um, uh, because it it's uh, often about filmmaking. And while I find filmmaking interesting, it's not interesting enough to listen to a podcast about. Um, but uh, they also have still um, still film uh, stuff that they do on there. And Jeff Bridges, the actor, um, Jeff Bridges was on. Uh, pretty sure he shoots. A, I'm pretty sure he shoots a wide lux, actually. Uh, it's actually a noblex, I think. Oh, it is. Yeah. Oh, so I may well, be wrong. Maybe it is a wide lux. Um uh, but it's a swing it's very lens. similar anyway. Yeah. yeah. Very similar. Camera. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and he has a couple of books out, um, and he shoots a lot on the set and he talks about doing, uh, you know, um, uh, having motion because that, um, the, 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 the lens he was saying swings in about a minute, uh, or minute, sorry, in about a, a, a second. So, you know, that's it's the time. Enough time for some some real motion. Yeah, 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 and and his approach to it, I thought was was very interesting. And um, um, uh, anyway, uh, it was it was in that area. So, 
Um, okay, so we're going to move next to functionality. We're going to move to a camera that we are not going to build. Uh, I'm going to go to page 292. And it's the end of the 35 millimeter section, page 292. And it's one of the cameras that I probably looked at buying for three years, but I've never pulled the trigger on it. Um, and this is the Nikon 28 Ti. And really seriously, I'd be buying the Nikon 35 Ti, which is the same camera, 35 millimeter lens versus, uh, a 28 millimeter lens. It is kind of a, it, it, well, it's an autofocus point and shoot camera that has some beautiful analog dials on the top. I know. What's that? What's with the weather station on the okay, top? Okay, yeah. Plate? Well, one of the things is uh, if you look at the knob that's on, that would be right at your right hand um, mm-hmm. at the back corner, I believe you can focus with that knob. And the the adjustments appear on these dials. You can also manually set your um, uh, your aperture on here, and there's an aperture um, uh, section. So it's just a readout, but instead of an LED, it's got um, needles and and scales, like you know, right. like you would find on old fashioned equipment. Right, right exactly, and. Um, it really is, you know, and it's one of those digital camera or digital. It's it's one of those all electronic cameras that if I'm going to get it, I better get it soon because these things are going to die and they will not be workable. Um, they're not going to be repairable. But the um, uh, I find this to be for function. It goes back to um. The idea of uh, something I talked about last week with the point and shoot, and that is sometimes you want to just not have to think about the exposure and the focus, and you want to think about the framing. And uh, and I think that this really does well within that purview. Uh, within that. Right. So in other words, it's it's work. It's doing work for you, but it still lets you pick the aperture if you want to, and it still lets you see what's going on. That's so that right. You're at least aware. Yeah. Yeah. I I have I like automatic features, but I don't like the black box style where you don't know until you develop the film what right. the heck just happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. So, and I think that this is you know uh, I'm I'm will say pretty pretty sure that. Um, this is one of those cameras that is overpriced right now. Um, and although yeah, overpriced when they came out with it, it's yeah. $1,200 is what it, that little point and shoot costs. It's pretty steep for a point and shoot. Yeah. They're hovering right about half that right now. Um, so, um, that, that's pretty good that, you know, holding your, holding your price that well for that long, I think is, is, yeah. Good. I mean, I, I have, I have several $15 cameras with aperture priority automatic, so... <laughs> right. But yeah. does it have the weather station on the top? No, unfortunately it doesn't. And so there's, very cool. So there's a lot of visual appeal here, but there's a huge functional appeal. Now, um, I gotta say, my, my little Rolly 35 yes. has dials that you can see 
from above. You look down at the camera. It's designed to set, not with it up to your eye, but right. with it held in front of you. Right. And the dials are on the front of the camera. And a lot of people think that's weird, but actually it's brilliant because you can look right down and see what your shutter speed is, your aperture is, and your focus all in one place. And it's it's all just reading off the knobs. There, There's no fancy gadgets. It's very straightforward, and I think it's smart. Uh, so it right. gives you the same effect, but it doesn't have any automatic abilities at all. Um, you still have to set it all yourself. But at least you can get that, you know, at a glance, you can see what's going on, and I like that. Right, right, exactly. And, um, you know, and I have one of those. Uh, I have the um, Rolly 35 LED and I haven't shot it in a year. Oh my God. I haven't shot it in more than a year. That might need to, I need to do some clearancing. And, um, there's somebody who I share this house, house with, and it's not my dog, who continually talks about, um, me, um, uh, clearing out that cabinet that has all my cameras in it. And yeah, well, I, I think what you should do is you should fire off a roll of film with that camera like fairly briskly uh-huh. and then and then sell it <laughs> yes i probably should i probably right. should okay i don't know I, I yeah i feel the same way about that camera it's 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 not one i use very often but it's so unique and it's so great when you actually do use it right it's just yeah right okay so that is function what are we moving on to for our next section what I have here is uh, a, one of your categories, which is strange. Strange. And Did I have strange? Strange. Strange cameras. And so for that, I go. Hang on I'm a going second. To page... Hang on a second. I didn't do a strange. That's all right. So so let's. Uh, okay. Yeah yeah yeah. Here, let's uh, while just I'm do a... while I'm spouting on about my strange camera. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh you can look for a strange one or not the the one that i picked out is on page 405 and it's really really interesting there's a whole set of cameras in the specialty section of this book that mm-hmm. were various <laughs> odd ways of creating color images uh-huh. this one is a fairly modern cuz these some of these color image things go back to 1905 this one's 1947 it's called the sunshine camera and it was made by Attico Mechanica Italiana in Rome, Italy. Uh, it's it's it looks like a slide projector, an old like 1940s slide projector because it is from the 40s. It's kind of got this like metal, kind of like hammerite looking paint job, you know, and it it has all these louvers to let air through it. What it is, is it's a, it's a camera that has three tiny little lenses close together. Um, it, it takes three photographs at the same time, each one through a different colored filter. So it's taking monochrome, uh, you know, black and white photos, but each one is filtered so that one will only get the red light, one will only get the blue light, one will only get the green light. Once you have those three different images, there's a lot of ways you can use those images where it's only selected, you know, light from one color range to, to create a color photograph. But in this case, it's designed so that you can then use the same lenses and filters to project a color image after you've made the photograph. And it, uh, so and it looks like a projector. 
it looks like a projector. Yeah. And I, it, I'm not clear whether you actually use the camera or whether you snap the lens onto a different device. It, there's not a lot of detail here, but yeah. the point is that it's it's a piece of equipment that records three different monochrome images filtered for three different the basic colors that our eyes are designed to see. And then it projects them through the same filters and lenses to give you a color image. And I don't know whether it projected on a screen or whether you peered through a, a peephole or what, because there were a lot of different kinds of ways of doing this in the old days. But it's very interesting to me uh, because I'd like to try this. I'd like to create color images by making... It's essentially the three-color process that is used for making, you know, color images in books and magazines and all of that. It's the same idea. Um, you break, or in Photoshop, you break the thing down into the three basic color types and you treat them separately and then put it all back together to create your finished image. There's a lot of reasons why I like this kind of direct mechanical way of doing it as opposed to the three layers or four layers of, you know, uh, essentially filtered color in a color film this is breaking it apart into separate images that you then recombine and the, one of the reasons that's interesting to me is because you can play around you can try different filters you can uh, you could do a lot of that kind of photoshop stuff with the actual equipment that you're using to make the photograph and that i find interesting and i'd like to try it and this is taking it in direction i had never really imagined which is that the same equipment you use to make the image can be used to then project it. And I think that's really interesting. It'd be worth fooling around with that too. Okay. So I'm going to, uh, instead of me just going on and on about this, the camera that you uh, chose, I'm going to introduce the camera that I chose right at the same time, because it's in the same section. It's uh, two pages back on page 403. It is a tricolor camera that is uses the same concept where you have where you're splitting the uh, or you're um, recording using three different color filters and then um, and then colorizing those those filters are those three this is three this, items but right. what this is the in, in, it's the plain square box shaped camera no which just it's like a cube yeah well so, so it's, what's the name of it hycro color camera no 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 that the one? next one tricolor camera tricolor, tri-color camera. Camera. oh that one is very cool and actually i had that one on my list too so we'll that's fine because it was the next thing I'd get to. So when you're done talking about it, yes. I'll say what my piece. Well, yeah. so so this uses this does the same thing. the The goal is to um, the goal is to have the same image on three different um, you know put through three different color filters. Uh, but this does it by taking the one image that comes in. And splitting it to three different plates, and right. I've, three pieces, three pieces of film, three yeah. pieces of film, and it's uh, they're nine by twelve centimeters, which is, I think that's five by seven, right? Yeah, yeah, it's nice and big. Yeah, and each one, and here's the thing that I absolutely love about it: each one of the three plates is on a rotating disc, so you could you could shoot it portrait or landscape. It's a beautiful camera. Yeah, and it's got a, it's got a lens that's got to be about 
four inches across, three inches across or something like that. And what I love about it is it is taking the same problem that the sunshine camera um, works in a different, uh, uh, or sorry, it just solves it in a different way. Um, yeah, and I, I think it's a, a more a more appealing way because you've got these three big pieces of film to work with. Um, I think it's I think this is a really cool camera, right? Tricolor. Um, now the thing that I can't tell is, I mean, uh, it looks to me like it's pretty obvious that there's a mirror system. Um, well, they call it a they call it a beam splitter. So I'm also wondering splitter. about okay two internal. I'm also beams, wondering about prisms. Yeah, maybe, maybe they're using prisms. It's it's a little yeah. hard to tell what's going on. I don't I don't understand enough about how that would work optically. But well, what they're doing is they're taking a simultaneous photograph and splitting it off and basically projecting it in three directions inside the camera. Right. And then each one on the way to its plate, it's passing through a different colored filter. Right. So, yeah, I'm not quite sure how they achieve it. But the beautiful thing about it is that it's a simultaneous capture. The The other version of this yes. that I've seen pe- people do has a single uh, plate, and you have to take three consecutive photographs and you change the film each time. And right. that's a lot simpler to build, but you don't get that simultaneous capture. So your your model has to yeah. hold still while you take three different pictures. Right. And, or you know, that that's a lot harder. Or you can or or they can move and you can get an interesting effect. Um, yeah, you get like a yellow elbow, a blue elbow, and right. a red elbow. Right. right. Um but the 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 thing that is um you know, you you can do that with just filters screwed onto the end of your lens, uh, or mm-hmm. or have those square drop in filters, which would probably be a little bit more functional. Yeah, and the one I saw that I really liked um, was the guy just put three filters on a guillotine like slider and just slides them down, click click click. So you could shoot pretty fast if you set it up right. Yes, absolutely. Um, but uh, you know, I, I, I've seen a uh, I first came across that system when I was in in college in the 80s and I always wanted to do it um but Photoshop didn't exist then you the 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 way you put them together was with a dye sublimation process where you had to print on something essentially you know you would have three transparencies each one with a gel, um, you know, it was, it was, a, so you're basically, you're recreating a modern color film with right, three layers. Right. Like, exactly. But you re directly, right. you recreate it in the, in the print and, right. um, and it was just onerous. Um, but now you can do it, you can do it very easily with, um, with Photoshop. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. and that's one of the, one of the reasons this appeals to me. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So, um, so, so let's figure out this beam splitter thing. Cause this yeah. is one of my favorite contraptions I've, I've ever run into. And you're right. It must be five by seven. Cause that's a 21 centimeter lens. So that's a 210 a millimeter, which is the, the normal lens for five by seven. Right. And, uh, that makes a lot of sense. That is pretty huge. Okay. But I have an old 210 centimeter or 200, 210 millimeter lens. Uh, so this is, you know, doable. Uh, but four by five might be more practical, you know. So, uh, I typed in beam splitter, Spectrum Scientifics, which is spectrum, spectrum-scientifics.com has them, 
Uh, although it looks like it is prismatic in that it, um, this cube. You can get a rainbow kind of effect. Yeah, you're get well, yeah, you're getting a, um, uh, different colors, but uh, that doesn't mean that you can't, there's gotta be a beam splitter. Uh, here, hang on a second. Here's another one. Um, you know, this is something that we could probably do. We just have to figure out exactly what's going on in there. And, <laughs> you know, and it, it, yeah. it might be a crude version or, you know, it, it's hard to say. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to, I have, I have a, an old optical manual that may have some clues in it. And, yeah. and there, are, and you could always fall back on the three lens version. Right. Like, you know, although getting them all lined up is another whole hassle, but if if <laughs> there, this is the most elegant solution, well, if, I, I, I'm I don't think that alignment is is like super critical on this. Um, it, depends on how close the subject. Well, are. I mean, if you're shooting a landscape, it's not a problem. Okay, no, 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 too, too close. No, no. Uh, um, okay, alignment distance from the lens that mm-hmm. alignment is critical. Um, right. because then you have one, one of your colors out of focus, but the, um, uh, left to right up to down. Now you can just crop that. You can crop whatever, um, edge, you know, that would be out of alignment, you know, say it was a little bit to the right or a little bit to the left, but you, oh, would so wanna... you mean like real realign it physically. Yeah. You know, you can do that later on. So yeah, I guess so. Yeah. So I don't think it's a, I, I don't think that that's huge. Um, so, uh, yeah, we need to, we need to look a little, uh, it, it looks like beam splitters just being, um, just being, uh, oh, here's a, here's a single mirror that is, that allows 50% of the light to be reflected and 50% of the light to go through. So. Okay. So that may be, so the, the next camera back, the high crow color camera does something like that with a beam splitter. And that one has, it's just a cube, and there's one plate lying on the bottom of the camera. Uh-huh. And uh, I guess, so that one uses an even simpler geometry, but it's doing the same thing. It says a beam splitter was swung into position to direct some of the exposing light to the blue plate. Tilting the camera put all the plates back in the holder. So it was the thing where you tipped it, and uh-huh. the plate, like, fell over and wow. <laughs> into position. <laughs> it wow. seems pretty pretty crude, but... Yeah. Okay, so this so is the, yeah, this is a fifty fifty, and these are nineteen fifteen and nineteen twenty five. I mean, this is not yeah. super high tech. These are old. Yeah, old this this beam splitter is fifty uh, reflective, fifty transmissive optical beam splitter plate. So it's just a mirror. It's eighty by eighty millimeters. Um, yeah. So perfect. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It's twenty two bucks. So, all right, God, yeah, let's get uh, um, let's get Colin Matorn, Matorn out there, um, uh, working on that. Don't you think? Uh, don't you think he would? He would be who? Who? Jonas. Oh yes, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's probably he's probably already got it started. Right, while we're talking. Right, I'm sure his ears are burning right now. Um, but I hope so. Yeah, I'm sure he has an ointment for that. Um. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's something that, that is, yeah, I've always wanted to do that. Okay. So maybe this is, ah, uh, man, that's, that's it. That's the missing that's ingredient because 
Yeah, I think that would be really, really yeah. interesting. Yeah. And so I would start with a very adjustable chassis so that you could get things right. Because right. there's a lot of stuff that would have to be yeah. figured out. That this is that, this is the kind of chassis where you take the whole top off and uh and you have small adjusting screws and that type of thing. Um, now the, I'm just it's just occurring to me that you could do a swing lens version. So if you put your three plate holders um kind of in an open you know like a you know like a theater set kind uh, of configuration, right? And then you could point the lens at one then the other then the other. So they would be they would be you know on a curve. So you could create a version. It would also be a consecutive one. It wouldn't be the simultaneous capture, but you could create a version where either the film moved or the lens moved, but you could get something that went pretty fast is what I'm trying to get. Right, right. One, two, three. Anyway. Yeah, okay. I guess you'd need to hold the lens still and move the film. That would be the way to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe motor drive is the answer. Bam, bam, bam. Yeah, yeah, but oh. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to build the motor ourselves. Um. Uh. So yeah. Okay. So are we? Uh, we threw the strange. Yeah, that's pretty strange. Yep. No. All right. So then, the, I never would have thought of that category. Um. That's the one that I used. I put this camera we've just discussed under. Yeah. So I, that's, that's used that up. So do you have another, I never would have thought of that. Oh, I never would have thought of that is a different, um, uh, yeah. I, is that what you meant by, uh, strange? I never that's would have the, thought of that. Well, no, you had, you had two categories. One was strange and one was, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Apparently you would have thought of strange things. But, um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, there are lots. So, of so for so on my list, I've already used that up. That's the tricolor. So I would skip on to the wild card, and okay. that was just one I pulled okay. out of a hat, which so which is a camera that I found weirdly yeah, appealing. Yeah, yeah. Hold on on that for a second. But uh, what I was going to do for never would have thought of that was um, uh, back in the panoramic section, and it's the Kodak Panoram, which I believe was the first swing lens from 1926 that is 324 324 okay yeah that's that's one of those black box old-fashioned almost looks like cardboard kind of cameras it's uh it looks like it's a is that a swing lens yes that must be some dingy dingy black no no yeah it's it's, a leather covered mahogany yep yeah, and that's one of the old swing lens that it's like on a it's like a connected to some sort of a bag so that it can flex. Yes. Leather. It's not even a bellows. It's it looks like it's just like a yeah, like right. a, some kind of a, a little bag. Yeah. And and the lens swivels and then it's pointing at some sort of film. Right. Which is yeah, hundred and twenty degrees. That's a pretty wide right wide field of view. And um uh yeah, it, it was uh I just find it to be uh when i first came across it uh you know i came across it actually on ebay uh on an auction and um it was uh you know and of course it was kodak so it took a specific size film that was for yeah, 122 yeah a 122 <laughs> yeah. it was oh, a 122 so you know i'm sure you know it had notches or something like that but um 
but I, I just, I just find this absolutely uh, fascinating. So in 1926, it was 40 bucks, um, and four hundred dollars in 1926, I think, would get you a Model A. Um, and so this was one tenth the cost of a car. So if you figure a car today, Model A equivalent car is twenty thousand dollars. You know, at least yeah. Model A was a pretty nice car. So this was a two thousand dollar machine. So at yeah. the at the time, you know, uh, rough equivalent, you know, um, seat of the pants. But um, okay, so the uh, Kodak Panoram um, is uh, was I believe it was the first. I may not be right about that. Um, swing lens. It was from 1926, and I could be off by that. Uh, I could be off on that, but it, it's just an absolutely astounding piece of kit to use our um, uh, our cousins across the ocean. Um, uh, their term, but uh, you know, they they don't they don't actually tell us if it's mechanical or if you just move it yourself. Yeah, they don't. I, I think it's clockwork. I'm pretty sure it's clockwork. I think that I've I've read that elsewhere. Uh-huh. Um, but and, but it could also be one of those um, you know shutterless designs where it's just the swinging of the lens. Yeah, I don't so, know that. I don't know that you would need clockwork as long as uh, as long as your you know your media was slow enough that you could get away with a relatively well for slow even movement. exposure. Clockwork has an advantage. Um, so just for even exposure. Yeah, but if you set up a long enough lever, it wouldn't be that hard to move it evenly. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it, you could start with that anyway and see what happened. So that's a good one. Now the str- the strange. Wild card, the thing that I just picked out of out of a hat, uh, is on page four hundred nine. This is a uh, made by Graflex Incorporated in Rochester, so the same people that made the Crown graphic and the Speed graphic. This is nineteen fifty three, so it's a really good era when you know lenses were getting really good and coatings were on them and all of that. This is the seventy millimeter combat graphic, so it's a special camera made for photographing war. Um, and it was, you know, made for the army to use. And so it's a 70 millimeter film, roll film camera. It takes this big, big piece of, of film. It could shoot relatively fast. It's a range finder. In fact, it looks a lot like, uh, a much bigger version. Well, it looks like, it looks even more like a Bessa T. So the Cosina Voigtlander Bessa T, it has the the two little eyes uh, for a you know a, a coupled rangefinder and a separate viewfinder on top, but it looks more modern than the classic Leicas that were set up that way. You know this is a this is a 1950s camera, so it's it's more like a kind of a normal looking camera shaped camera, uh, but it's a big one, and I just think it looks like it would be a heck of a fun camera to use. Like there now nowadays you can get a very small number of of range finder, you know, coupled range finder cameras that take big film. There aren't many out there, and the good ones are really expensive still, like the Mamiya 6, 7, and 6, and so forth. Right. This is a really interesting camera. I wanted, I've been wanting for a while to build something like this, so it's very minimal, simple. It's pretty much like you're saying. It's like a giant Leica for a big piece of film. And I think that's a really 
appealing idea. And I guess there's a couple. There's a Makina that everybody raves mm-hmm. about. But again, they're they're quite expensive. Uh, I I would imagine these are expensive too because they probably didn't make that many of them. But it as a do-it-yourself inspiration, um, I like it a lot. And um, it – okay, so it's 70-millimeter film, but it produced a 55 by 70-millimeter image. So, oh, uh, I think that that 70-millimeter film is sprocketed. Um, mm-hmm. So sprocketed That's on pretty cool side. too. So – so it would it would be within the sprocket range. So you're getting 55 millimeters, which isn't that much different from uh, height wise. You know, you're getting 52. It's close to a six by seven. Yeah, it's it's a little narrower, but it's close to a six by seven. It's it's a nice big negative. So you would, if we right. were making one, we would just. We would use a you know a six by seven roll film back as our basic right. starting point, but, right? But it's it'd be nice to get something more compact. This looks quite compact for what it does. It, is. So it does. I that's, agree. That's the yeah. That's the other thing that really appeals to me is that maybe I do have to start from scratch and and you know make a body that has its own film transport right. system in the whole. Thing. Now yeah. um, it does say that it came with a graph or excuse me an Ektar two point eight lens, but it doesn't say what the yeah. focal length is on that. Um, I would no, guess but 90, gonna... 80, probably if it was a combat camera, wouldn't they want it just slightly wide? So it's hard to say, but I'm going to guess you're right. It's probably between 75 and 90, 75 and a hundred probably. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yeah. Uh, maybe, there. maybe right. a slight tele is, is an advantage in combat. I don't know. Uh, cause you don't want to uh, get never. close <laughs> to it. Depends. <laughs> Maybe slight tele, no, like 1200 uh, millimeters, um, on a, on a, no, I, I would go with it. I would definitely go with a twin lens yeah. because then, then you can keep your head below the parapet <laughs> and use it like a periscope. This damn thing, you have to look through it. You have to put your head right in the line of fire to use this thing. Right. I wouldn't want to use this in warfare. That isn't my goal at all. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I keep talking yeah. about the the whole idea of I want to like a 645. Maybe I want to like a 6 six by 7 and this is essentially I, it, right? That's right. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. That's exactly what I'm thinking. Yeah. I would love a light, sturdy, compact rangefinder camera for medium format. And and I have that if you know, if it's uncoupled, right? I already have that. I've created cameras that do this without a coupled right. rangefinder. But to to get the full you know, the full convenient coupled rangefinder and all of that would be really great. Right. I wonder I wonder how how the coupling works on those well, yes. Well, that's something to look up. There's a, no, I um okay um on the the Leica thread mount and the Leica uh, M mount. What it is is there is a is a device that sits right behind the lens that. Oh, those I've studied. Yeah, yeah that gets pushed back. There, it's just essentially a lever with a roller on it, right. so that it moves really smoothly. Right. And it's 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 actually astonishing that it works as well as it does, right. um, because it's very accurate. the uh, The thing that I'm wondering is what the Mamiya six and seven use, just because those are an available lens. Oh, and they're right. not cheap either. But right. but if you could build all the rest of it and then just stick that lens on there, that would be something. Well, the, yeah, yeah. that's how. Okay, so so I have that already in the Mamiya Press uh, lenses, 
and they're pretty straightforward. Um, and that's my idea of taking one of those and stripping it down and making it light, but it would still never be anywhere near as compact as this, this camera is. This really just looks like a giant green Leica is what it looks like. Let me see. So that was your wild card. And I don't think, oh, I did do a wild card. Hang on a second. I think I did. Okay. Yeah. Here's my wild card. Um, it is, and, um, yeah. Okay. Page 300. It is the Royal Stamp, Royal Mail Stamp camera from 1907. And, um, what it is is it is a box camera and oh that's wonderful on the front it's got uh what is that 15 yeah 15 lenses and if you open that up i'm going to guarantee you that there are 15 compartments and each one of them will make an identical image slight parallax error of course um, but it'll make essentially a, an identical image. Um, and you could, um, uh, you know, you trip the shutter and the shutter works for all of them. And what is interesting, I mean, I, what it did was it uh, reproduction, um, certainly through the, um, at this time it was a 1907 camera. Reproduction was uh, a photographic process, right? Um, so if you wanted to right. reproduce so something, you took a picture of it. Um, and, uh, you know, there was no Xerox. There was no digital camera, no digital reproduction, all that type of stuff. So um, uh, what this does is it is essentially reproduction in the original. So you don't have to copy anything. It is that original uh, file, right? So, yeah. um, limit, limited edition print camera. Right. Well, but it's not necessarily limited edition. I assume they created stamps with this. So they would have original artwork that they would have a certain distance, you know, it'd be a certain size or be a certain distance away from the camera. And this would take pictures of that. Then they would swap out the film uh, or swap out the paper, whatever it was that they're creating, and yeah, it's, it says typically it was used for carte de visite, so those little little photos that you could leave as like a calling card. Yeah, okay, there we go. Um, and uh, and I just I you know I find this just absolutely fascinating, um, it, and it's also a beautiful wooden box, and it has a nice leather handle on the top, and you know it it triggers all of those things. Um, and it's yeah, it's a great camera. I like so uh, one of the oh, this was uh, I have to say maybe six months ago uh, there was somebody posting pictures that were made with a camera that was made from a um, ice cube tray and the ice so that there were a series of images all taken at once and i don't remember if it was pinhole i'm just i if for some reason it's not um you know uh, uh I, it was an indoor picture that i that i saw well one of the things that's nice about it is 
that you've got all of these images that are just a tad bit off each other from a parallax point of view, right? So Mm -hmm. there are all these images that can be, um, you know, that you can put into, um, you can make stereo images out of. Uh, or you can, you know, make little animated GIFs where they go back and forth and back and forth. And so you get that kind of 3D kind of feel from it. Um, and, and, you know, I was just and, thinking you could also make one with a curved face that would give you a, almost like a, you know, uh, like strips of, it would be a bit like a panoramic version. You, so if, if it was a curved face with a whole bunch of lenses, oh, okay. it would give you a whole bunch of little pictures that you could so line it'd be up, a, and it would be... A, yeah, it would be a convex curve. Um, right. Yeah, and so you could you could see outward. Right, exactly. You know, And you could probably take that into the 360 if you wanted. And then you could make... You could go and go right... Go, make, go ahead and make a bendy version. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Sure. <laughs> right. Sure. I mean, well, it, here, I think that what you're saying is just... Make each lens cell, uh, or you know, each film cell a uh, on, on an articulated um, uh, axle. You know, yeah, that could work too. Um, yeah, sure. And, and so you could have you could have some some pretty pretty good fun with that. Um, mm-hmm. So anyway, and I've, I've I wanted to say I've seen people use that type of camera, and there is also there's a thing with that. You can set it up so that it's it's making a composite view. So if all of the lenses are just sized right, that you would then combine all those separate little pictures and get one complete big picture. Oh, right. With that system, you have to get the ideal distance from the subject yeah. to get it to work. Yeah. Um, but that can be really effective when, when you do. It kind of gives you a Chuck Close portrait. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. There's yeah. all these little Absolutely. squares. Yeah, right. And I would say, uh, I'll, I'll say it again, just because I have the opportunity. Chuck Close is... is absolute hero of mine you know uh one of the one of the best renderers of uh you know photorealistic art ever you know gets knocked down by a a brain aneurysm and he doesn't stop he does his same stuff and you know it's like you know he in a way he's like a human camera because He isn't able to see faces. He is face blind. Oh, really? I didn't and, know that. Yeah, he's one hundred percent face blind. Really? Uh, and 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 that's how why he developed the system of breaking the face into a grid uh-huh. so that he can basically combine a whole bunch of landscape pictures, which will then create yeah. the recreate a face. So and so was he? And that's a yeah. <laughs> Was he, That's a fascinating part. Yeah, was he of, of of his system? His system grew out of this this severe handicap for uh, a portrait maker. Yeah. <laughs> right, he literally can't tell one person's face from another. So at all. Yeah, and I I've I've known uh, of people uh, who are like that. Was that before or after the aneurysm? Because I I don't know, but as far as I know, he's always had that condition. Really, it, it's a fairly common condition. It yeah. turns out uh, Oliver Sacks had it as well, and and the two of them. Uh, he talked. Oliver Sacks wrote a, quite a bit about this, yeah. and um, and there's some fairly humorous stories because, but you know, but not funny at another level. I yeah. know that 
that Chuck Close had to, you know, struggle with things like, you know, having ex-girlfriends show up and he couldn't tell who they were and they get mad, even though they know, understand his handicap. It's still, it still makes you uncomfortable. Right, right, exactly. When someone you've lived with for years doesn't recognize you. Yes, that would be, that would be incredible. That would be incredible. It's difficult. Okay. But he had all kinds of systems for compensating. Like he would ask questions and figure out who the person was by, you know, logic. Right. And uh, that kind of thing. Right. So, so that's a wonderful camera. That's definitely inspiring to yeah. me, that one. Uh, yeah. And, and I think that's... And, and, yeah. and I think that that's something that's relatively easy to build. In fact, you could uh, you could build it to go, um, you know, to expose on paper um, and, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, drop a sheet in... Yep. Or, or yeah, film by for eight that one man, would be great. For, for that yeah. matter, I, I think it would work just, just the same. You could sure. you could also trigger them in sequence, and um, you know get a a story you know a storyboard going on that type of thing. It'd be fun to make one that took you know maybe nine postcards because um, you can get oh, postcard yeah. sized uh, paper, and you could just you know sp- stuff a bunch of paper, in, and then that would work well for the multi direction one. Right, it could be you know could have like three different angles or whatever right Um, right exactly yeah that'd that'd be fun okay so what's our next section well the last thing on the list was one that's particularly inspiring for a build and of course most of these are inspiring and the one i picked for some reason is really pretty much the same as the previous one it's just another medium format uh coupled rangefinder camera it's a metalist 2 kodak metalist yes and which was what, what's our page on, on that four, on p- page 307. 307 and unfortunately this was a 1946 camera which was of course a stupid 620 film because it's a kodak but you can you can get 620 film or you can re-roll 120 onto 620 rolls reels i'm pretty sure so that yes that that's a usable camera um but it's just to me it's inspiring because it's extremely compact and simple it's got this wonderful kind of ziggurat formation it's it's a rectangle with a with a lens you know that is uh, taking up the whole middle of the mm-hmm. the face of the camera and then on top of that there's a wide base rangefinder two little square peepholes and then in the very middle on top of that is the viewfinder the framing viewfinder so it's it's a very simple, um, you know, with a couple a knob and a button sticking up, and that's it. And it it looks like a fully capable camera with you know shutter and aperture adjustments on the lens and a focusing scale and all these you know everything you need except like probably no light meter, but everything else that you need mm-hmm. uh, to to take the shot in what looks like a very compact, solid little camera, and that's very very appealing like that exact format would do it for me and that i think is an may even be an uncoupled i don't know if it's coupled rangefinder or not you know um uh i'm pretty sure oh uh yeah i don't know that i don't know that but um the thing that uh, about the metalist and i've looked into buying uh metalists before because i think that they're absolutely beautiful cameras this angle picture that is in the book is straight on and it doesn't get its best feature, which is the exposed helical. Um, oh, cool. that is, that to me is, I, I just, I want to look at it. I want to look at it. Now I have heard 
that this is a huge pain in the ass t- to shoot with. Um, oh, that's yeah, that's too bad. And that's not what I have in mind. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but um, but there's no reason. Uh, it it's very compact. Um, there's no reason it has to be. Right. That, that's just a, a kind of a codec thing, right? Uh, and I, it, and it could easily the same exact shaped camera could be easy to use, right? And the and the the six twenty film is probably part of the pain in the ass. But um, but I hear actually shooting with it, and and I've heard it a couple of times. I'm not sure, you know, I can't tell you um, what depends the on depends on who's are. complaining, right? I'm already used to awkward cameras, so that that is you know the fact that you have to set things on the lens doesn't bother me, right? Uh, right. But yeah, I like how small it is. It looks it looks it looks like the kind of thing I want to build, and and I did put down another one um, under this category. There's on page one ninety one. Uh, this is going back to the old school, uh, beautiful wooden cameras. There's something called a Challenge Day Spool Number One Tropical Camera from 1903, <laughs> and it's a f- classic folding camera with, it, you know, but, but with a really nice form. It has a rounded, you know, rounded ends where the roll, oh, yeah, yeah, roll yeah. film goes. It's a roll film camera, yeah. and and a trapdoor that opens down and out comes a bellows. This thing had uh, I don't think... both ri- rise and fall and shift, you know, so right. you had perspective control. Um, it was made of high-quality tropical woods that could take, you know, a humid environment and high temperatures. It is a... It's a really elegant camera. Yeah, it's... And it looks, it looks buildable. You know, yeah. It looks buildable. It's, it's, uh, yeah, uh, it's and it's appealing to me because it's like it's truly compact, but it does start to have some camera uh, characteristics, yeah. like you know, perspective control and that kind of thing. Anyway, that's another. Inspiring I, I wonder what this would look like with you know, like a a modern uh, super angulon just sitting right on the front of that. Uh, I think it would, yeah, I think it would look beautiful. So what you need to do is show your boat builder friend this picture, get him a bunch of teak. And, um, and, and, and say, uh, okay, here's the lens. <laughs> Sadly, nothing would happen. <laughs> I'm going to have to do this myself. Oh no. Oh no. Your boat builder That's friend okay. is going to build okay. you a camera. He just helped me frame a house. Uh, he's, he's got a lot of other stuff. He's selfish, do, yeah. isn't he? He's just so selfish. No, no, he, he's not. So, he's not. Uh, my inspiration camera and I'll, you know, I mean, a lot of these have been inspiration, uh, but my official one is on page 329 and this is going to be very difficult for me to get a link for, for our audience. So I might take a picture out of the book and, and post it somewhere. Um, that beautiful handmade panoramic camera. It is a camera. handmade panoramic camera, um, and uh it looks to me like it's got barn doors barn door lens cover um mm-hmm. on the front um the doors themselves are hor- are horizontal so half of it goes up half of it goes down um on the side there's a little uh on the side of the front of the lens there's a little um like graph and I think that that might have to do with the reciprocity failure of the distance. That's not reciprocity oh. failure. The the no. um you know the the distance. F- I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh the the uh, inverse square law. So right. if you get 
too if you get your lens too far from the film uh you have to adjust the exposure right because it's just plain it's just too dark in there right and um so i think so there's that across the side it's a sports finder hybrid uh viewfinder and so what it is is he's got some it looks like a fish eye and it doesn't oh he's got a 75 millimeter lens on it and it's a six by 18 um image and um so he's got you know a a bug eye um uh fish eye finder um that then looks through a sports finder frame that's a nice uh, solution. Yeah, you, and, you could you and, could make you could make a lot of um you could make a lot of viewfinders work that way by putting the right shaped wireframe out in front of some nice wide angle you know optical finder. Yeah, and, that's a good idea. And the thing about it is, uh, it looks to me like it is also designed to be a handle to carry the camera. Uh, and I'm sure that allows a parallax adjustment by moving that um that optical finder up oh, and down. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good point. I'm I'm positive because this guy was a physicist. The guy that designed and built this camera was a physicist, yep. and I'm sure it does everything. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. So uh, I love it. Uh, he built it between 1970 and 72. Uh, I'd like to, you know, one of his throwaway, um, uh, not acceptable models, uh, you know, prototype models. I think that that would be really good. Um, so. So anyway, I, I just, uh, I think that this is absolutely beautiful and it's homemade and, um, you know, it just takes It's all made genie. of flat rectangles too. You right. Know, it's, it's like pretty straightforward. Right, exactly. Um, so. You know, on the next page, there's something that looks like what the spinner was based on called a globoscope. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, and so that covers well let's let's covers okay you mentioned the globoscope let's talk about the difference with the globoscope versus the um lomo spinner the lomo spinner has the has a normal lens on the outside that uh and a slit um back towards the film whereas the globoscope um has is a spinner and it does a full 360 spinner but it has a slit in front of the lens. Yeah, so that's that really would work a little just odd. as well. So we were talking about mm-hmm. it, uh, and that would work just as well. Um, so, uh, so yeah, absolutely. So um, the, the, the book again, let's talk about this. It's 500 Cameras, 170 Years of Photographic Innovation by Ka- Todd Gustafson. And that's G-U-S-T-A-V as in victory, S-O-N. Uh, it's published by the George Eastman House uh, Press, and um, and yeah, it's it, it's a wonderful little book. It is well, I guess it's not that little. It's a wonderful everything fat square yeah, book. Everything in it, except maybe the micomatic. Everything in it is extremely, <laughs> extremely inspiring. Which one? <laughs> The Mickey Mouse. It's oh, just a plastic, yeah. a plastic Mickey Mouse head, and it apparently yeah. has a camera concealed yeah. in it somewhere. But absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's also Charlie the Tuna. Uh, Although I guess I guess hiding cameras in household objects, it has its own kind of you know uses as well. Yeah. Well, the creepiness use, absolutely. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, and apparently there was a uh, Tasmanian Devil uh, instant uh, Polaroid. It looks like a 600 camera. Yeah, it's a one-step 600. So Here's another fun one. The Young Communist. And what page is which that? Is, which, which is 177. Okay. This is a... It's a twin lens reflex camera, which is an exact copy of a 1930s Voigtlander Brilliant. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, from 1946, yeah. And um, to prove it, they have the Brilliant on the next page, and it's exactly the same. <laughs> I mean, everything. Have, <laughs> the Brilliant doesn't have Cyrillic, um, yeah. Well, they got rid of the V. Yeah. It's And they, they you know, they, like, scraped that off the tooling. Oh, yeah, yeah. Stuck a different different thing on there but yeah uh i actually had one other idea recently that i'm gonna just throw out there before i do a shout out which i have uh there's a there's this idea that came... I've been tr- messing around with trying to use the wrong lenses on the wrong camera. And I've been fooling around putting uh, single-lens reflex, 35 millimeter size single-lens reflex lenses on, you know, bigger... An old broken Hasselblad and cameras with bigger film. And if you get close enough, any lens will have a big enough image circle if you're close enough to your subject. But there's often image circles thrown by lenses are bigger than they need to be. So... You're all, you're throwing away a bunch of image when you when you crop it out with a particular format, and it's occurred to me that it might be kind of fun, especially with paper negatives, um, big pieces of paper, to fool around with seeing like what you could do, like what's the most you can get out of a given lens. So it, it, you would project it on a, a much bigger size film or, or so piece you're, of paper. Or you're whatever, talking about using the, it needs. the full image circle. The full image circle, and that gets bigger as you get closer to the subject, too. So you would have, potentially, you could have a much bigger image captured by a given lens and then crop it to suit yourself, Uh, and it might not be any kind of standard crop or size. It would be fun to play with that, and one way to do that would be to design a camera that basically is just a big box with that you could put a big sheet of paper in and then um, move the lens back and forth. So it's basically a view camera concept, but... The idea is to play with some of these in-between sizes and formats and shapes and things that you would you would be able to come up with. Uh, and that's that's something I want to fool around with next. And I've seen people, you know, use the whole image circle to make a circular image, and, right. and that's fine. But that's not really so much what I have in mind. It's more a matter of sort of, um, I don't know, I guess it's kind of a Scottish concept of getting the most out. <laughs> Getting your money's worth out of a lens. <laughs> sure, sure. So, but you know, but it's an, there are some lenses. I've heard that that Lomo 40, for instance, projects a pretty big image circle for, for a 35 millimeter right. lens. Um, right. And it'd be interesting to see what can be done with that. And I still haven't figured out where I'm going to put that lens. And so this is one idea I have to fool around with. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe it's, maybe it's worth using a, on a bigger, uh, on a bigger, uh, piece of film or piece of paper right and um uh ethan cameradactyl ethan um uh told me that he was he was pretty sure that the jupiter 8 
will cover six by six. And yeah, that's a great, and the that's great. Jupiter eight, of course, is a 50 millimeter, uh, what is it? F2, F2.8, something like that. Yeah. Right. Uh, like a thread mount. Like a thread mount. Um, and, uh, I, you know, and, and I have one. Actually, so. it's a, it's, it's an F2. It's an F2. Yeah. So, so I was going to check that as well. Um, and, uh, and see, in fact, actually, I, uh, I've been playing around, uh, lately, um, with, uh, paper negatives, um, and, well, not, yeah, paper negatives, but, um, uh, using, uh, the, uh, what am I trying to say? Solarography, solarography concept of creating them, um, sorry, let me say that again, of shooting the picture and then, um, uh, not developing the paper, um, just expose it for a very long time. And, uh, I got one that was, uh, fairly successful in about three hours. Oh, about 90 minutes in an afternoon looking into a sunset. Um, it worked pretty well. I tried one today for about three hours. Uh, I stopped it down a bit to try to get a longer depth of field. And I think I stopped it way too much for a dim day. And in three hours, um, I did get one scan of an image. The next time the uh, scanner went through, the image was unreadable. So, I mean, it was degrading. Oh, that so this, so when you scanned it, it kind of fried. It, it too, fried. Probably, it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. So, so I wonder if you could do better by taking a photograph of it and then scan and then going from there. You know what I'm saying? Like take a digital. Oh photo yeah, yeah. So that's an scan, idea because that that wouldn't project all that light on it. Right. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um. Uh, and it's definitely worth, uh, worth trying that. Um, so I've, I, so I decided that I was going to come up with a, with a camera that could do this and the camera would be, uh, just a, a four by five box that I would put four by five paper in. Um, mm -hmm. and it would be a one shot. Um, and then, um, uh, and it just, a, a real, easy clamshell uh design and and the other end there's a hole through which i screw on in uh you know an m39 lens uh, you know so i'm going to just screw into the plastic um and i'm 3d printing this but i was having trouble 3d printing it last week uh when i left work last week i set it to print and it was starting but i i have no confidence that it actually finished properly um, well, there's always cardboard and tape. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, that, you know, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that is something that I, I, I can do. I'm, uh, I'm so overwhelmed with work right now that I, I've been really leaning towards, because I want to keep playing with some of these ideas and I don't have time to do them right. Right. And you know what? I've got gaffer tape, I've got cardboard, and I got pieces and parts of cameras and I don't really need to make a fancy version for these a lot of the to test a lot of these right. ideas it's right. definitely definitely time to do more with cardboard I think. well yeah and what i'm testing this concept with was it is um i built uh when we we're originally doing the podcast we had the garbage cam challenge that we have set aside um but the uh but i built a camera out of 
uh, an iPhone box. Um, and it was a camera that, um, I was going to, uh, or that I, uh, ran 120 film through and it had a 50 millimeter, um, woolen sack lens, uh, and shutter combination. And that would throw an image that is about 54 millimeters, uh, in diameter. So I would get the, just the circle. So I've been using that for this, uh, this process just to test it out, just to play around. I tried today some, uh, Ilford positive paper, uh, direct positive paper, and it turned pink. Um, no image. It just all turned a uniform pink. And I said, ah, this is not working. I don't think I'm going to do that again. So, uh, so I'm going to go back to the multi-grade four, uh, paper that I have for that. So, so that's where I am on that experimentation. Um, do you have any people? Hey, do you have a book this week? <laughs> Actually, what I, ha- what I did have for a shout out yeah. was that there, there, somebody posted a guy named Masumi. Yamamuro posted uh, a picture of a handmade panoramic pinhole camera that he made, mm-hmm. or I don't know if he made it, but he posted a picture of it on our, our homemade camera podcast, Flickr page. Oh, I haven't been and there in a while. It's a really nice little camera. It's a brown wooden box with some brass, like a brass sliding shutter, and the, the film advance knobs are wooden spheres that like little marbles. And then the the viewfinder it has a little optical viewfinder. It's probably a, pe- a door peephole viewfinder. Uh huh. Um, but it looks really elegant without a door around it. It's just this little brass tube with a little lens in the end. Um, it's just a it's just a oh, wonderful yeah, yeah. little camera. Oh, I know who this is. It looks more like a sewing kit box or something. Yeah, like he goes by yeah. twenty four surgeon twenty four hour twenty. Um, he was um. Yeah, um, he, he is, um, he was on the Lensless podcast. He's on, oh, this is one of the things I don't like about Flickr. When you follow someone, you find, oh, Surgeon 24 Hours. So it's Surgeon 24 HRS. Um, so if you don't have his name, uh, you know, that's the way to, uh, to, uh, to look it up. I think he lives in Boston now and he was in Alabama when he was being interviewed on the lensless podcast. Um, yeah, ori- originally from Tokyo. It, it yeah. he's still in Alabama according to this Flickr page. Oh, but okay. then who knows yeah, yeah. how old that knows. I think he was you know, leaving. I think tell. he was moving from Alabama at the time. Uh, right. but yeah, I, yeah, he's, um, uh, yeah, it, and it is a door people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's a it's just a very elegant little simple camera. I like it a lot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, absolutely. Um. Trying to get back to our Flickr group. Uh, there we go. Uh, there yeah, we and go. that's a six by eleven panoramic. Uh, that takes one twenty film. Yeah. So. Uh. So yeah. Um. Uh, I don't have any real specific, um, you know, uh, other than people we've talked about before. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else. Um, 
But the I need to go back. I'm looking, and there's a whole bunch of stuff I need to look at here on our Flickr group. We have a Flickr group. It is the Homemade Camera Podcast Flickr group. We have a website, which is homemadecamera.com. And uh, although we haven't really done a whole ton of bunch on there. Um, then we have um, email. Uh, I am Graham at Homemade Camera. And Nick is Nick at home, Graham at homemadecamera.com, Nick at homemadecamera.com. We're both on Flickr. I am, uh, Graham Homemade Camera on, sorry, on Flickr, I'm Freezer of Photons. I am Graham Homemade Camera on Instagram. Um, I, and Nick is, uh, Nick Lyle on Flickr and Avi Nick on Instagram. That's A-V-Y-N-I-C-K. Okay. And, uh, and I just, uh, here's something. Do you, do you ever do Pinterest? Okay. So I never do Pinterest. I've, I've resisted Pinterest, but, um, I am teaching right now, um, a portfolio class and I had a student who sent me an idea for a leave behind. You know, you go into an interview, you leave something behind. Uh, as a, an interview gift. Um, and, uh, and she linked to Pinterest. And if, if you're not on Pinterest, it very quickly boots you off kind of like, uh, Facebook does. And I said, Oh, forget it. I'll, I'll just, I'll just register for Pinterest. And so I started looking through and there are some homemade cameras that are on Pinterest that are absolutely astounding um and <laughs> oh no so i don't want another right right exactly <laughs> exactly another time suck you know um although once again yeah probably probably some good uh good stuff there so so yeah so that's that's a little bit of a shout out so uh to to pinterest and all the stuff that's going there on you go pinterest. and uh ph dom um yeah, can I buy one of these pinhole cameras that you're making? Because they're beautiful. Okay. Oh, yeah, um, those really are nice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. See, you know, when I started, um, I, I talk about how I got into building these things because I wanted to build beautiful pinhole cameras. This is the type of pinhole camera that I wanted to build, and I just don't have the skills. Um, and part of it is that, it, you know, I haven't taken the time to sit down and, you know, build a bunch of iterations. Now, um, you don't have to necessarily go to as much trouble as you think. You can just make a fairly crude box out of wood with some thickness to it and then just take some sandpaper and rub it until it looks right. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know. And, and that's one of the things that's nice. Um, but but I want to... Yeah, I, I, yeah. I want it to look better than that, you know. So anyway, that's <laughs> that can look good. Yeah, no, I I understand. I, I understand. Uh, but um, but yeah, that's something. That's something else. You know, once again, it's the camera as an object as opposed to the camera as a functional device mm -hmm. as a tool. And um, you know, the camera as an object is um, certainly. Um, certainly one of the things that we do. So, you know what you should do? You should, you should make a really elegant suit that will fit on a camera and then you can <laughs> just put that on your ugly camera. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I can camouflage the ugliness with some prettiness. Oh, yeah. there's your there's your business, camouflage. Yeah, exactly. So, right. Okay. A little like a raincoat for your for your uh, instamatic. Right. So I know it's a little bit earlier there, but it's ten thirty here, and my alarm goes off at five a.m. So let's thank right. Robbie and Skedaddle. Yeah, Robbie Cribs, thanks so much for the the music you created for our podcast. So we're going to start off this week with uh, the most important question I've asked since we have done this podcast and we started with a question. Are you excited that Seattle's getting a hockey team? No. 